This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast, where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily, and this is the week of October 24th through 28th, the second week of the Second Chance Tournament. And, oh man, it was a great week of games. Yes, it was. But before we get into it, how are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing all right. Uh, We are mostly healthy in our house, and it was a fine but uneventful week. How how about you? I am also doing all right. It was a weirdly hectic week um, with nothing super important, but all of the things that sort of were put on hiatus during COVID. I have like all of these like random little like groups and committees that were like, you know, we haven't gotten together in, you know, over two years now. So let's just schedule something for like the last week of October. Um, and like <laughs> somehow, somehow, somehow I just ended up with like meetings just stacked all the way through the week of like, you know, we should probably get that going again kinds mm-hmm. of things. It's like uh, March 31st from Park- <laughs> Parks and Recreation. Yeah. I thought there was no March 31st. Oh, I can't remember the exact wording of the quote, but yes, yes, like March 31st. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's probably after Halloween by the time people are listening to this. Uh, but we just broke out our family Halloween costumes. I am Luigi. My son is Mario. My daughter is Princess Peach. And my husband is Waluigi. Waluigi. Wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, okay. Okay. We've gotten very positive feedback on our costumes. We were we were not sure how it was all going to go over, but um, yeah, it's uh, seems like it seems like it is working. Uh, anyway, so um, we have three days of semifinal semifinals. Yeah, we have three we have three days of um, second chance contestants. And then a, a two day total total point affair, or it's mm. you know it's it's in in the past as we're recording, and also by the time you're listening to be discussed after we talk about uh, talk about these these semifinal games. So on Monday, we had the contestant Sadie Goldberger, an interpreter from Columbia, Maryland; Jeff Smith, a music educator from San Diego, California; and Sarah Snyder, a middle school humanities teacher from Fishers, Indiana. And our Jeopardy round categories were: I played a real person children's literature, double-double letters, serial mascots, captain, and crunch. That was cute. Mm-hmm. If I could be really nerdy about something for a second, oh. children's literature. Okay, so the $1,000 level of children's literature, the clue was in a Mo Willems tale, the first words little Trixie says are the name of this stuffed rabbit she lost and found, and Sarah got that one. It is Knuffle Bunny, starting with a K. Which I had pronounced as Nuffle Bunny with a silent K until I read Knuffle Bunny 2, <laughs> in which Trixie brings Knuffle Bunny to school with her. And it turns out that another classmate has the exact same stuffed animal and they <sighs> accidentally get them switched. 
Uh, But before they get them switched, we see Trixie and her classmate fighting about how its name is pronounced. And Hmm. Trixie is insisting on pronouncing the K, Um, Ah. which which got me to change my pronunciation of Knuffle Bunny. Um, So I don't know whether Sarah... uh, learned to pronounce it that way from from that source or some other source or whether she just decided to go ahead and pronounce the k but <laughs> i approve yeah i i have not read knuffle bunny but i do like mo willems yeah i like mo our, willems so, too so do, so do my kids so i, I yeah. imagine we will find that book mm-hmm. we're working through the uh elephant and piggy books right now oh love those love those books they're so fun they're so fun. I actually often read Elephant and Piggy books um, during like the children's message at my church. Like if there's one that's connected with whatever we're talking about in church, I'll just grab the corresponding <laughs> Gerald and Piggy book. Sarah got caught in the double double letters category mm. at the $600 level. The clue was the ringtail is in the same family as this nocturnal mammal with a ringed tail. Uh, and Sarah just rang in and said lemur because, of course, you think ringtail, you think lemur, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't fit the double double letters. Also, I don't know if lemurs are nocturnal. They might be. I don't know. Yeah, Someone I'm not sure. Someone probably tell me. But it's a raccoon, Raccoons which we talked about last week. Are adorable, but they're sinister. No. They're. <laughs> I don't. I, uh, anyway, fine, fine. <laughs> I guess. Sinister. I guess I just you know judge things by like the content of their character or whatever <laughs> i judge them by their cute little faces they're so cute yeah you would all right daily double number one is in the captain category at the 400 dollar level jeff finds it at pick number 14 uh he has less than a thousand so he wagers a thousand and gets the clue Captain Preston was acquitted for his part in this March 5th, 1770 event. It couldn't be proved he'd ordered British troops to fire. He says, what is the Concord massacre? Which I think is just like, uh, you know, mixing up two different revolutionary events. You know, Lexington and Concord are the first battle. Right. But it's the Boston massacre. Mm Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Sarah is in the lead at 5,600. Jeff is at 3,000. He's managed to get himself out of the hole. And Sadie is at 3,600. We have the double Jeopardy categories, Destination Europe, Say What, Math Class, Newsmakers and Writers 2022, Plant Craft, and C Band Lyrics with C in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Which... Sadie almost ran. Almost. But then we left the $400 for last and snuck in there with the buzzer. I think I think Sadie also knew that one, but I feel like if she'd gotten the other ones, you know, hard so, to imagine so, she didn't know Coldplay. Yeah, some deeper cuts. <laughs> yeah. The $1600 level of Destination Europe in the reliquary of this king and saint's basilica in Budapest. You can see what is reportedly his right hand. Sarah tried who is Wenceslas, also a king and a saint. Very good guess. Uh, Sadie tried who is Vlad. They were looking for Saint Stephen, which if you remember the lyrics of the song, Good King King Wenceslas, it was on the feast of Saint Stephen. Uh, 
that you know the story in that song takes place which i was not Um, aware that he was a king yeah i i don't actually know a lot about him i could not remember who this was i was pretty sure it wasn't king wenceslas because because king wenceslas is associated more with like prague like like prague yeah yeah Sadie finds both of the daily doubles in this round. So uh, the second daily double, first one of the round, is pick number 21 at the $1,200 level of plant craft. Sadie has taken a pretty strong lead. She's at 12400 uh, with Jeff in second place at 6600 So she's at almost double his total um, and wagers 1000 Um I don't know if she's thinking specifically about... Um, you know, trying to get to a lock position or about, you know, trying to kind of limit her, limit her losses and keep a large lead if she misses. Um, but anyway, if that wagers a thousand and the clue is practitioners of this seven letter bushy art have been called tree masons and leafage sculptors. Sadie tries what is horticulture, uh, but that's not correct. They're looking for topiary. Yeah, I always forget that word. I always yeah. know that I know it. And I'm like, it reminds me of bees. Because for some, mm-hmm. it's like topiary and apiary for some reason. Oh, okay. But Isn't I always that? forget what the word is, so it doesn't really help me. <laughs> yeah. It just mixes me up. I'm not sure if this applies, but like, um, I heard recently the term re- receptive vocabulary, right? The things that you, the, the vocabulary that like, you don't actually use it yourself, but when you encounter it, you know what it means. And I feel like topiary is kind of like there for me also, right? Like Mm -hmm. I know what it means when I hear it, but like producing the word is inconsistent at best. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Daily double number three is the next pick back Back to back, back as Ken points out. It is at the $1,200 level of Newsmakers and Writers 2022. Uh, so Sadie also finds this and just wagers 800. It's feeling a bit bit gun shy, it seems. Um, gets the clue. Turkish President Erdogan got enough concessions to drop his opposition to letting Sweden and Finland do this. She got it correct with what is join NATO. Yeah. Thought that was a, thought that was a good poll. Definitely. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Jeff has recovered some. So Sadie is at 13,400 and Jeff is not that far behind with 10,600. Sarah's at 5,200. So, um, you know, we've got a game here and our final Jeopardy category is authors. And the clue is when Esquire began as a men's lifestyle magazine in the 1930s, he was asked for manly content and wrote in 28 of the first 33 issues. So they all got this one, you know, you think manly content, you think Hemingway, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it immediately came to mind from the time period. And I'm like, who would they, you know, who would be considered a manly man? Yeah. I was like, Fitzgerald, maybe, but probably just Hemingway. It's going to be Hemingway. Yeah. And indeed it is. Uh, So Sarah got it correct with who is Hemingway and a $5,198 wager to bring her up to $10,398. Jeff got it correct as well with who is Hemingway and a $2,801 wager to put him $1 above where Sadie has started. So if she misses it or wager zero, he will win. Um, But Sadie got it as well. 
you may remember that Sadie uh, lost her game because she ran out of time writing who is Harriet Tubman with the first name. Mm-hmm. And there was some uh, some buzz about, oh, she should have just written the last name. She writes who is Ernest Hemingway. Mm-hmm. But she gets all the letters in this time. Gets it all there, yes. I sort of wonder whether she did the first name, sorry, the last name first, you know? Just to make sure. <laughs> Just to, yeah. So, yeah, she gets it, she gets it all in. Who is Ernest Hemingway with a $7,801 wager? Uh, she secures her spot in the finals. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us to Tuesday when we have the contestants Jack Weller, a law student originally from San Diego, California, Alicia O'Hare, a social worker from Long Beach, New York, and Tom Philippos, a writing professor from Forest Hills, New York. And the Jeopardy round categories are Women on the Map, TV Cartoons, A Green Party, The Elements, McDonald's Around the World, and Plurals That Don't End in S. Which had a, a viral moment. I mean, so first of all, like Ken insisting that like that they that they phrase it as what are, not what is. Yeah, he was. He I, had fun I, with it. I enjoyed, um, but then <laughs> at the four hundred dollar level, um, the clue was moose, and Jack rang in and said, <laughs> "What are meese?" <laughs> and Ken was like, "No, Jack." <laughs> I have watched this clip a hundred and fifty times. <laughs> <laughs> when Ken ruling him wrong, like no, and then like it, it like it registers, and like no, Jack. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, so funny. And like Jack, like I'm it sort of he was like face palming through like the next couple of clues after it went to commercial break, and I'm like, this is the moment when the co- contestant coordinators would go up. And try to convince you that there is still so much to live for. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was very relatable. People loved it. Um, But also like those kinds of Jeopardy moments, they could just go either way. Right. With like the internet mob, you know, like Mm -hmm. you just have to wait until it airs to see whether people want to like find you funny and relatable and or whether they're like, I can't believe these absolute idiots they let on the show. Like, right. You know, Th- there are going to be people about like on either side of that, no matter what. Yeah, that's true. It's just who seems yeah. to be the majority, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most of most of what I'm seeing, uh, people just really thought Mies was great. Hilarious. Um, yeah, I, th- it was. I thought it was great. It's very good. Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, Daily Double number one is at the thousand dollar level of the elements, and Jack finds it at the twelfth pick. He wagers four thousand of his five thousand. He's in a pretty solid lead already at this point, and he gets the clue: a small amount of this element is sometimes added to table salt to make up for human deficiencies of it. And he gets it correct: it's iodine. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Jack is still in the lead with 9,200, Alicia's at 6,200, Tom's at 2,400, and the double Jeopardy categories are revolts, recent movies, miscellany, festivals, essay questions, and rhymer's delight. Each correct response has two words that both rhyme with delight. In my mind, that was an extremely restrictive like rule, and yet I thought that was a really good category. Yeah, I agree. 
speed up the process of getting the nitroglycerin explosives. That is expedite dynamite. Yes. Yeah. Technology averse dramatist Luddite playwright. Yeah. <laughs> They're so just good. good. They were good. They, uh, yeah. I think um, uh, Tom went there first and got colorfully authorized a personal or corporate location on the internet. That's to greenlight a website. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he was like, nope. <laughs> he did not want to give <laughs> nope, that. Nope, right uh, out of that. Yeah, yep. that, that brain power right off the bat. But they came back and did okay mm-hmm. with it. It was a yeah impolite Jacobite. <laughs> uh, that was very clever. Good job, writers. Yeah. I enjoyed that one a lot. I, I appreciated them lifting up uh, that endometriosis affects up to one woman out of every 10. I am not an endometriosis sufferer, but I know some. Um, and I think... It's something that people aren't necessarily aware of and live a really long time with like unexplained pain and other symptoms. And yeah. so, you know, I appreciate Jeopardy kind of shining a light on it. Like if one person Googles and they're like, I should talk to my doctor about this, like yeah. good, you know, and hopefully more than one. That's, you know, something that like not to, you know, paint with a, a hugely broad brush, but something that as a man, it doesn't really sink in the amount of like, like just talking to, you know, like women that I know my wife or like other people, the amount of just like consistent pain that Mm -hmm. women experience and just kind of are like, I guess this is normal, like on Mm -hmm. a regular basis. Yeah. It's astounding to me. Cause like if anything for me hurts, I'm like, well, something's wrong. Yep. I need to Mm -hmm. make this a priority right now. And everyone else needs to make it a priority too. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just very weird to me. It is. It, it is astounding. Anyway, if, if you're like endometriosis, what's that? And also I live with a lot of pain, like, you know, and, and you're somebody who might have like a uterine a lining uterus, thing, yeah. like Google that. I, I think like I can't I saw some statistic about how many years on average it is between when an endometriosis patient mentions their pain to their doctor and when they get their diagnosis. And I think it was like seven years or nine years or something Ugh. like wild so yeah i appreciated them including that yeah we are reminded in the essay questions at the 1200 dollars level to memorize that native son and james baldwin need to be a pavlov mm-hmm. yeah and criticizing harriet beecher stowe and richard wright i think should point you toward like american race relations right um but native son and james baldwin for sure uh, Daily Double number two is pick number seven. Uh, it's in the revolts category at the $1,200 level. And uh, Jack finds it. He is out to a decent lead at this point already. And he wagers 5000 and gets the clue. The Ist's name for this month failed to topple the czar in 1825, but inspired the name of a 21st century band. And he gets it correct with word, the Decemberists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hey, uh, it's back-to-back Daily Doubles. He finds the last Daily Double on the very next pick at the $1,600 level of essay questions. And this time he wagers 3000 His previous Daily Double wager got him into, I mean, it, w- there's a lot of game left. So, you know, it's lock position doesn't matter that much. But he's, but he's you know, effectively in a lock position. Mm-hmm. Um, he wagers 3000 this time and gets the clue. This essay by Thoreau says, under a government which imprisons any unjustly, the true place for a just man is also a prison. And he gets it correct with civil disobedience. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, 
Tom is at 10,000. Alicia's at 13,000. But Jack has a lock position at 26,400. Now, he found all three daily doubles. 10,000 and 13,000 from the other contestants are really good scores. Those are no really daily, solid scores, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. No daily doubles, good scores. We get the final Jeopardy category, Bodies of Water. And the clue, the Katagat and Skagarak Straits separate these two seas. Tom missed it with what are Caspian and Black, and he wagered 3,001. Alicia wrote what are the North and Atlantic, which is also incorrect and wagered everything. And Jack got it correct with what are the Baltic and North Seas. And he only wagered 100. He didn't risk his luck. So he punched his ticket. Mm-hmm. And on Wednesday, we have the contestants Rowan Ward, a chart caller, writer, and editor from Chicago, Illinois, Doe Park, a sports writer from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Nikki Porcaro, an educational consultant and business owner from Silver Spring, Maryland. And our Jeopardy categories are Quicklit, The Number in Music, Peaks and Valleys, Snapchat, Birds Within Words, the correct response, will be hidden within the text of each clue, and Hidden Brain Podcast, uh, which is a video category with Shankar Vedantam from the podcast Hidden Brain, which uh, I feel like I've listened to maybe an episode or two at some point. Mm. Not sure I ever hit the subscribe button. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast, hit the subscribe button. Hit that button. Even if it means nothing to you, (laughs) hit the button. It's right there. Yeah, we got uh, we got Rowan Ward back, who is a who has tweeted at us publicly, so we can we can say with confidence that Rowan is a a a known listener of the pod. So good Mm -hmm. to have you here, and I guess there and got got their uh, signature brand of exuberance. Yes, (laughs) which was which was fun. I enjoyed their previous game and i'm very excited that they're back i liked the birds within words category i didn't always find the bird but i thought it was a fun gimmick Mm -hmm. we've seen we've seen similar ones with some regularity in jeopardy so but like a little knowledge of this bird goes a long way that was owl uh the letters O-W-L in that order are within the word knowledge. Right. Um, and so it's like, sometimes there's a context clue or, or like something, something to point you in the right direction within the clue. Um, but also like, you know, you're sort of looking for like, what word really would you not expect to see, you know, this is, which word does it look like they, they've shaped the clue around mm-hmm. and searching for the, the hidden word there. Yeah. Daily double number one is the very first pick in the round. It's in the quick lit category at the $600 level and Nikki finds it. She wagers a thousand because that's, she's got nothing and gets the clue. He's a real bit player in Hamlet, just a skull. And she doesn't remember it, uh, but that is Yorick. Alas. Alas, poor Yorick. Mm-hmm. I knew him well. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Nikki uh, is at zero. She had dropped into the red there and managed to get herself back to back to even. Uh, Doe's at 2,000, and Rowan is in a big lead at 9,400. 
And we got the double jeopardy categories, law slaw, historic seconds, animal titled movies, DC area attractions, sculpture, and a standing middle O. So letter O is the exact center of each correct response. I finally learned what a bivouac is. In that mm. middle O category, it's an encampment of troops with little or no shelter, as seen here. They showed a picture. I knew it had something to do with, like, encampment, but I never knew specifically what it meant. And now I can use that, you know, precisely twice a year, I guess, whenever it happens mm-hmm. to come up. There were a couple of these that I think have been... I mean, there, there's always some overlap between Jeopardy and things that have been covered in Learned League, right? They're both... Mm-hmm trivia competitions that are producing like a lot of questions yes but i'm pretty sure that we've had that i've that i've been in sort of learned league conversations about both the burgers of calais uh the sculpture at the two thousand dollar level of the sculpture category and also about uh louise bourgeois spider sculptures which Mm -hmm. have like I think the title Mama is uh, one of them or all of them. I don't know. I I remember seeing some Learned League chatter about both of those. Yeah, I Um, remember Louise Bourgeois too. I think that's where I learned it. Although maybe I looked at, maybe I learned Louise Bourgeois for the Tournament of Champions. I don't remember. I remember looking into Bourgeois though and the the, like the spindly sculptures. Mm Mm-hmm jumped out at me because uh, by the time I watched this, we had then had um, the next day's game where there was a, a category called Learned Leagues. Mm. We'll get to that when we get mm-hmm. to it. Yes, we will. I liked the way the $1,600 clue was phrased in animal-titled movies. In this 1988 comedy, mm-hmm. Kevin Klein enjoys chips and the unfortunate title creature, much to Michael Palin's dismay, and nobody tried it. It's a fish called Wanda which I couldn't remember much about a fish called Wanda. I did figure it out from context, but I just, something about something about the way the clue was phrased, I thought was fun. It's pretty funny. Daily Double number two comes up in Lost Law at the $1,600 level, and Rowan finds this as the fifth pick. And they make it a true Daily Double with 10,600, which shocks Ken. Nikki's at 1,600 and Doe is at 2,800. And so, you know, you can make a case like, oh, you're already in like such a big lead. Like you can preserve it. You're risking it by making it a true Daily Double. But also like that's two clues if they drop to zero, right? To, To like recover, like to get right back in there, right? Like yeah, with a couple $2,000 clues or, you know, they, they could, they could take the lead again. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it, I think it's a good move. Um, they get the clue. Political advertising was at the heart of the 2010 case pitting this group against the federal election commission. And Rowan knows that is citizens United. Daily double number three is in the historic seconds category at the $2,000 level. And Rowan also finds this one. Uh, pick number 19, they're out to a very big lead at this point, and wagers only 2,000, and gets the clue. The second one lasted from 218 to 201 BC, and at the end, Rome was boss of the Mediterranean. And they get it correct with uh, what is the Second Punic War. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, uh, Rowan has a lock game with 26,800. Nikki's at 7,200. Doe is at 6,800. And our final Jeopardy category is charity. 
And the clue is a Catholic charity called Caritas Rome is the beneficiary of the money collected from here over the years, averaging about $3,500 daily. Uh, Doe tried what is St. Peter's Basilica. That's not correct. He wagered 401, uh, dropping him down to 6399 Nikki tried what is the Red Cross. Uh, that's not correct either. With, with a wager of 5401 she drops down to 1799 Um, And Rowan figured it out. It is the Trevi Fountain. And they wagered 10000 bringing them up to 36,800 and giving them that third finalist spot. That's right. Yeah. That's, I, I couldn't figure it out. Um, yeah, I like it just, it just wasn't coming together for me. I, I'm not sure why. Like I, I thought about, okay, a thing in Rome that of a place in Rome that collects money, like, Mm -hmm. like where would money be collected? that wouldn't just go to the thing itself. You know, like a church would be like, okay, well it goes to the church or whatever. And I I feel like I'd heard, like maybe I'd heard this fact before or something. Like I'd heard that if you throw like, I don't know, something about money in the Trevi fountain and it it just popped into my head and I was like, yeah, it's probably, Mm -hmm. that sounds, that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So Rowan goes to the finals, like you said. And so on Thursday we get the first of the two day total point affair Two-day total point affair. Between Sadie Goldberger, an interpreter for Colum- from Columbia, Maryland, Jack Weller, a law student originally from San Diego, California, and Rowan Ward, a chart caller, writer, and editor from Chicago, Illinois. And we get the Jeopardy round categories. Another shot at the title. The Animal Kingdom. Bring me a souvenir. Words and phrases. Immediately. Which cabinet department? And Radcliffe College. Knowing a bunch of minutia about Radcliffe College itself doesn't really help a person that much with the Radcliffe College category. <laughs> I assume coming from a person who You don't who need has... to know all the words to the Radcliffe alma mater. Which at least 50% of this podcast does, I'm guessing. Uh, 50% of this podcast does know all the words to the Radcliffe alma mater, yes. At, at least 50%. I can't, I can't, maybe, maybe you, maybe you memorized it, you know, just for fun. Yeah, that's what I do, you know. I love learning alma maters. <laughs> it's fine. They they asked about like Stockard Channing and Helen sure. Keller and Ann Sullivan. Like they, it was entirely legitimate questions. Right. That connected with the history of Radcliffe and some, some important people who went there and, you know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Rowan was maybe overthinking it in the animal kingdom at the $600 level. They showed a picture seen here. It's not an ostrich, but this Aussie bird. Typically, if you think of an like Australian flightless bird, what are you going to think of? An emu, right? An emu, yeah. But uh, they they went with a rhea, um, mm, which is yeah. is often like the trick. It's like the other big flightless bird yeah. that people forget about, right? But no, it's just an emu. Mm-hmm. I mean, Australians fought a war against them and lost. <laughs> Horse racing comes up in Jeopardy. But not, but not all that frequently. Right. So it, it, it just it felt fortuitous that uh, the, the thousand dollar clue in the words and phrases category uh, had. Well, is it horse racing per se? I guess maybe it's not. included in horse racing. Yeah, it had it had knowledge that you know that I assume Rowan had a personal connection with. Um, asking about an adverb that means without hesitation, 
Um, but when it's a noun, it's a long part of a closed race course. Rowan got that one. That's a straightaway. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rowan is a chart caller, which has something to do with horse racing, I think. Right? I don't. Yes. I, I believe so, yes. Uh, yes. I know very little about horse racing, so I'm not going to try to elaborate. <laughs> I Somebody gave me some advice before... I went for my Jeopardy audition that I should make sure to study horse racing. And so I like learned like, you know, like five things, you know, like Mm -hmm. the, like the, like the three races and like a handful of like famous race horses. And then one of them came up on the, on the quiz, like the, on the test in the, in the audition. So yeah. So it was Um, worthwhile. It was, it was good advice. Nice. I'm sure there are more than three races, but the, the triple crown races, is that what that is? Or what? Yeah, I the triple crown. The, uh, yeah. The Preakness. Uh, the Belmont Stakes, Stakes and Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Derby. Yeah. yeah. Kentucky Derby. Daily Double number one is in that Animal Kingdom category at the $100 level, and Rowan finds this one at the sixth pick. They make it a true Daily Double with 3800 at this point. Jack is at a thousand and Sadie's at zero and they get the clue. Males of these mammals engage in bouts called necking to establish a social hierarchy. <laughs> All right. Settle down. <laughs> no, it's just, I'm not laughing just because it's called necking. I'm laughing because have you seen this? No, I haven't. Oh, <laughs> so it's so good. I'm laughing because I've seen it. Like, okay. Like not only in video, but like I got to see it in Africa. Like it was, it's, it's so weird. Nice. Okay. All right. I, I, I mean, I've, I have also been to Africa, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen any necking. So I'm going to have to look up some videos. <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> Surely nothing can go wrong. No. Um, yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like I'm actually pretty safe with that internet search. Yeah, actually you probably yeah. would be. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Rowan gets it correct. It's giraffes. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Rowan's in the lead with 11,800. Jack's at 2,400. Sadie uh, went into the red, but has gotten back up to zero. And our double Jeopardy categories are Oktoberfest. The second chapter, uh, they um, give you a quote from the second chapter. You have to name the literary work. Lakes and rivers, three consonants in a row. Learned leagues and Daniel Radcliffe collage. Yes. (laughs) We're following up the Radcliffe college category with a collage of clues from Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. About his career. Yeah. I like Daniel Radcliffe. I think he's. I do uh, as well. Yeah. He's done a, a good job of, I think, you know, accepting his childhood fame and continuing to be, be himself. Yeah. In his career. Yeah. I thought it was funny to have um, Yorick on Wednesday and then Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead on Thursday. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not exactly the same topic. You they're know. both Hamlet. I mean. Well, yeah, but but like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern is its own separate play, but like that it's with like with reference to Hamlet. Right. But it was it was a funny and like the, and I assume that they you know wrote these sets of clues for the tournament, for the tournament so that yeah. so they knew that they would come up in the same week but on different days yeah you know I don't know Hamlet's important it's fine yeah all the learned league folk got the shout out at the sixteen hundred dollar level of learned leagues contestants in learned league a web based trivia game are called the South American animals and they're llamas mm-hmm. for the LL yes. Yeah, which that a baby llama is a cria, 
And so Learned League uh, operates on a referral system. And so uh, someone who enters Learned League because they have a referral from you uh, is your Kriya. They're your baby llama. Oh, baby llama. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the, the Learned League's category is very like, <laughs> yeah, okay, we, we see you. Finally, finally, you know, breaking that seal. Yeah. That no one has, you know, everyone. Saying everyone the quiet part at. out loud. Yeah, exactly. Daily Double number two is in the second chapter at the $800 level. Rowan finds this one at pick number three. They have took a huge lead in uh, the Jeopardy round and uh, wagers 8,000 gets the clue. Ralph says, we've been on the mountaintop and seen water all around. And Rowan is unable to place that character with that line and guesses what is James and the giant peach? I don't know. Uh, But that is from Lord of the Flies. Mm hmm. James and the Giant Peach. Like, I mean, it's not a terrible guess. It's not if a you terrible guess, right? Yeah. I mean, like the, the like the peach is like, you know, like they attach it to a bunch of birds. Right. And it's flying. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so, I, you know, water sure. all, the, all around. OK, you know, sure. Uh, and then daily double number three is the fourth pick. So we've got back to back daily doubles uh, for a third time this week. It's at the two thousand dollar level of lakes and rivers. And this time Rowan makes it a true daily double with 5,000. They've dropped down to 5,000. They want to see if they can get Get back back in. in. And uh, they get the clue. This river that flows 2,300 miles before emptying into the Caspian Sea is Europe's longest. And they know it's the Volga. That's right. Um, Yeah. Because of my river's deep dive, I'm sure. That's, That's the reason. Yes. They, they listen to the podcast, and surely it is the only place they've ever learned anything. That's right. <laughs> There's no other possible explanation. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Rowan is at 30,000. <sighs> it's a big number. It's Jack is at 6,400, and Sadie is at 4,400. That is a... That is a good feeling going, you know, and it, it's a two-day total point affair. Mm-hmm. That's a good feeling for that. Um, they get the Final Jeopardy category, American Composers. And the clue, he turned to opera with the 1903 work Guest of Honor, likely inspired by Booker T. Washington's dinner at the White House. Uh, Sadie got it correct with who is Joplin, Scott Joplin, and wagered 400. Went up to 4,800. Jack got it incorrect with who is Gershwin and uh, dropped down to 3,000. 1903 is just a little bit early for Gershwin. Yeah. And Rowan also got it correct with who is Joplin, but they didn't wager anything. Just decided mm-hmm. to stick with the the pretty big lead of 30,000 Yeah. Uh, going into day two. Because even if Jack had doubled up, he would only be at 12,800. So Rowan would still have a $13,000 lead. $17,000 relief, right? I did the, I was thinking of the rounding the math. Yeah. Yeah. $17,000 lead. So I don't blame the zero wager there. Yeah. That's, I think keeping, keeping that huge lead, uh, I think is strategic. Mm -hmm. I did not think of Joplin. I was impressed though. Yeah. I thought it was a good pull. That was a, that was a fairly deep cut because Joplin isn't usually one of the first composers you think of. Mm-hmm. Right. American com- composers comes up. You're like, all right, Copeland, Bernstein, uh, mm-hmm. Gershwin. 
Right. Yeah, a lot of the names that came to mind, I knew they were a little too late historically, but I had a hard time thinking of an American composer who would have writing around that time. Yeah. Um, and who would be like a name that you'd be expected to know. Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of only Scott Joplin, like, because it's a little late for like John Philip Sousa or Stephen mm-hmm. Foster. And yeah. it's, you know, too early for that next generation, you know, the Irving Berlin and, you know, mm-hmm. even though Irving yeah. Berlin isn't like, tech, I don't know, he's not native to America, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that brings us to Friday, uh, the second day of our two-day total point affair and you already know who the contestants are so let's just get into it uh in the jeopardy round our categories are picture the number one hit books and authors you move me in the science dictionary from the latin and the strongest link okay i had a i had a small quibble with the strongest link at the one thousand dollar level okay the clue was in the Skyward Sword edition of this video game, Link searches for the title character after she's knocked out of the sky. Okay. And Sadie said, what is Zelda? And that's the character. Legend of With Zelda? The Legend of Zelda is the game series. I guess shorthand is acceptable to refer to it as like the Zelda games, I guess. But Sky- Skyward Sword is actually really good. It was on the Wii, and it used the motion sensor. Oh, fun. Which uh, was, for for a lot of games, was pretty rough, but they did a really good job, I thought, with Skyward Sword. Nice. Yeah. I'll get around to those Zelda games one of these (laughs) days. Uh, We had another mention of the Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead Mm -hmm. at the $600 of Books and Authors. That's just, you know, I don't know if it's it's just the kind of, I guess it's like dicey kind of thing, but it comes up a lot. As we have pointed mm-hmm. out, so if you're going to be on the show, you should probably read the book. Yep. I say as someone who has not yet read the book. Yeah. I mean, or at least be familiar with, like, Colson Whitehead as, like, a very zeitgeisty, highly um, accoladed author mm-hmm. and, like, the titles of some of titles and themes of some of his works. I mean, I, I do not want to discourage anyone from reading the book. Uh, it's it, it's a good book. It's worth reading. But also, like, you know, for trivia some... purposes, you right. do not actually need to read a 300-page novel to know the you know, stuff the, about it. The, yeah. the things that are likely to come up in a trivia question about it. Mm-hmm. And right below the uh, Underground Railroad clue was one about the memoir Crying in H Mart, which I've been intrigued by i also had never heard of h mart until i moved Hmm. just north of new york city and you know to westchester county where we where we have a few h marts and um but i've I've enjoyed exploring those a little bit yeah we have an h mart not too far from us we actually have a a number of different asian markets pretty Mm -hmm. close to us one of them is h mart we go there fairly regularly i mean they have far better prices on a lot of things Mm -hmm. and uh you know things you can't find so I guess this is just a plug to go to your local Asian market <laughs> mm-hmm. if you have one. Way, way back, I did a deep dive about World's Fairs. It was one of my long ones. Because um, <laughs> it was about <laughs> all of the World's every Fair. World's Fair. Every, just, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't think I covered monorails. 
No, I don't remember you getting into him because I know I would have made the Simpsons reference. I'm not sure I know the Simpsons reference. Oh, it's it's very early in the series. A monorail salesman comes to Springfield, uh, <sighs> and he has a he has a music man kind of shtick selling okay. the town on a monorail on the on the merits of a monorail. Mm-hmm. Homer becomes the monorail driver. It's it's a classic. Yeah, but we had a, a triple stumper at the eight hundred dollar level of you move me uh, about Seattle, New York, and Montreal all had these at, at their world's fairs in the 1960s. Um, uh, apparently Sa- Seattle's is the only one that is still running. Yeah. Brag much, Ken. Jeez. Yeah. We know you're from Seattle. Okay. We get it. <laughs> Daily double. Number one is in the Latin category at the thousand dollar level. Uh, Jack finds it at pick number 10 and, uh, Wagers 1800. He's a little bit behind Rowan. Actually, this is enough to tie Rowan. And he gets the clue. This nine letter word for the sacred writings of the Bible is from the Latin for to write. And he gets correct with what is scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Rowan is at 6800. Jack is at 4800. And Sadie is at 2600. We get the double Jeopardy categories. Days of yore. State Capital Attractions, TV Law, African American Firsts, Myth Paree, and Second Chances with second in quotation marks. Paree. Paree. <laughs> Everything's a Paree. Doesn't that mean putrid? Because yes. isn't potpourri putrid pot? Yes, yes, you're so, right. You're right. If you just put Paree on it, you're just saying like putrid myths. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I'm not sure how you could come up with five questions that are actually about like potpourri, like the scented like melange of dried stuff. But I feel like it would be very, very funny to have a potpourri category sometime that is actually five themed questions around the theme (laughs) of potpourri, Potpourri. like the substance. (laughs) Yeah, it would be. But I I think also, I mean, if anyone could do it, the Jeopardy writers could do it. Yeah. Jeopardy writers, please give us a potpourri category that's actually about potpourri. Yeah, a potpourri puri or something like that. <laughs> something, please, 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 please. I know. I, s- I wanted to just be called potpourri so that the cat- contestants think it's a you know a hodgepodge category, sure. and it then and a- then they they like call the first clue and it's about potpourri, and then the next one is about potpourri, and the next one's yeah. about potpourri. Yeah, please. That, I want that it would so be good. much. That'd be really good. We'll be on the lookout now, Jeopardy writers. Anyway, I did like the myth category. Yeah. Though it still still focuses uh, like there was so there Greek. Were, there were yeah, there were two two Greek, one Roman, mm-hmm. one Norse and one Egyptian. There are other mythologies out there. Yeah. But I understand. Also we got a uh, clue about Misty Copeland. Yes, we did. African American firsts the $800 level. The American Ballet Theater's first black female principal dancer, she was also the first to dance Swan Lake for the ABT. That's Misty Copeland. Important person to know. And also just, I mean, you might not be a fan of ballet, but she's still fun to watch. Yeah. She came up just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Once again, supporting our theory that these uh, questions were written entirely separately from kind of the regular season. Yeah. The general pool. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in Myth Paris at the $1,200 level. And Jack finds it at the third pick. He is at 7,600, 
with Rowan at 5,200 and Sadie at 2,600. Jack wagers 7,000, which I think is a very smart move, especially because we know Rowan already has a $25,000 lead. Yeah, from um, the day before. So from the day before. So, I mean, at this point in this in this game, Jack has a $2,000 lead. But, like, if he wants that Tournament of Champions spot, he needs to beat he, Rowan he, by more than $25,000 in this game. Um, so, you know, so he goes he goes big uh, with a $7,000 wager and gets a clue. Electo, or Unceasing in Anger, was one of the three vengeance goddesses really living up to this collective name. And he gets it right. It is the Furies. And daily double number three is in the Days of Yore category at the $1,600 level. Pick number nine, so it's also early in the round, uh, Rowan finds this one. Jack has, you know, gotten himself out to a really big lead from that previous daily double. So Rowan's at 6,400 to Jack's 18,200 and Sadie's 2,600 and Rowan bets it all, which kind of got to if Jack's going to be, you know, making that mm-hmm. kind of move. Yep. They get the clue in 1429, Charles VII granted nobility, arms, and the surname Delis to her family. And they think about it for a minute and uh, get it correct with who is Joan of Arc. Once again, the only way they could have known that is from this podcast. The only way. Yes. That was one of my favorite deep dives I've done. I say that it was about a, good one. a lot, a lot of them, but that was one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, uh, Rowan is at 20,000. Jack is at 29,400. Sadie's at 5,000. And our final Jeopardy category is artists. And the clue is Sabina Airlines commissioned a painting by this artist, Loiseau de Ciel, a bird whose body is filled with clouds in a blue sky. And this was a triple stumper. And actually, they all headed for the same incorrect answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sadie wrote down what is who is Picasso, uh, and she wagered everything five thousand. Uh, so she drops to zero for this game, uh, and finishes with a total of forty eight hundred. Uh, Rowan also wrote down who is Picasso. Uh, they wagered twelve thousand two hundred and one, and the rationale for that wager is that if Jack doubles up his 29,400 in this game. And then we add back in Jack's 3,400 from the previous game. That's the score that Rowan is looking to beat. And Rowan shared their scratch paper with their calculations. I think it was on their Twitter, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the strategy here. That is Incorrect. So they drop down to 7,799 for this game uh, with a cumulative score of 37,799. And Jack only got to who is uh, PI. So I think maybe he tried to take more time to think it through. I don't think any of them seemed like they, you know, were were confident in their answer of Picasso. Um, No. All of them seemed like they had written it because they know it's better to write something than nothing. So, yeah, I think Jack maybe tried to give himself some more time to try and come up with someone else. And then, you know, at the very last second was like, whatever, I'll try and scribble Picasso down. 
So he didn't he didn't get through writing it, but we know it would be incorrect anyway. He wagered everything, which is the it's pretty much the right move, because if you bet nothing here, you have to hope that Rowan bet it all and got it wrong. You have to hope that Rowan bet too big. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. So it's it's the best move is to get yourself the biggest score possible. Yep. So So that drops him to zero and gives him a cumulative score of thirty four hundred for this two-day total point affair. And I struggled with this one because I didn't know where Sabina Airlines yeah. was. You know, what what country I should associate that with. And then I saw Loiseau de Ciel was French. Right. And so I was trying to think of a French artist mm-hmm. for some reason, and nothing nothing came to me. And like, literally as the music ended... I pictured a bird whose body is filled with clouds in a blue sky and was like, well, that seems like Rene Magritte. I, I worked myself around to it like definitively too late, yeah. from, you know, from the comfort of my couch without all the pressure of, you know, actually being on a Jeopardy stage. Like this was this was a tough one. Yeah, I, um, I was stuck on trying to think of a French 20th century painter. And I was like, I don't even do I even mm-hmm. know one of those. Yeah. Yeah, um, Sabina apparently was the national carrier of Belgium. No longer, I think, but at some point. So, so uh, Belgian surrealist Rene Magritte is the name that you know we were supposed to think of here. Yep. But it was a, it was a tricky one. So that gives Rowan the win for That's this right. week. I am I am so thrilled for them. Uh, yeah. So Rowan. And uh, Jessica Stevens will advance to the Tournament of Champions, which will start next week. Next week. Yay. Yay. It's I'm so exciting. I'm so excited. I really like the way that this has led up to the Tournament of Champions. It has yeah. made it feel more exciting and more like hyped and special. I don't know. It's just good. I really, mm-hmm. I have enjoyed being a fan. Yeah, agreed. This has been, this has been great. It's cool that it's, um, you know, so new, totally different from what they've done before, but like so in line, I feel like with the with the sort of Jeopardy vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's the week. Uh, and this is the point in the middle of the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash potent potables. Uh, there's a little bit of exclusive content on there. We put the quiz questions on after we record and... Uh, Hopefully we'll we'll have the uh, time and the ideas and the energy to get some more stuff on there, you know, at some point. And there's a, there's some there are a few things that we've done from past months and years, and it helps us to uh, to offset the costs of the podcast. Uh, so if you want to check it out and send us a few bucks a month uh, to help us keep doing what we do, that would be very much appreciated. And we just feel weird asking for money without noting that there are other things in the world that probably need your money more than we do things mm-hmm. that are more important than what we do. So we put some of those in the show notes and we have been recently, especially highlighting abortionfunds.org. So, uh, so yeah, Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? I do. There were so many good ones. There were so many good ones. There were so many good ones. I'm not ones. sure I ended up choosing a good one, <laughs> Oh, but Hey, Okay. It'll be okay. It's weird. Um, um, yeah. Okay. Are you talking about the Boston Massacre? 
I am not talking about the Boston Massacre. Are you talking about the Watergate tapes or Watergate? Uh, no. Jeez. Um, okay. Are you talking about which one? I don't know. Are you talking about St. Stephen? I am not talking about St. Stephen. Uh, I am talking about something churchy, though. Is it the Lateran Council? It is the Lateran Council. Dang it! That was what the other... I feel like you should get get five points for that. Well, no, I was... I didn't get it in the three. Okay. All right. Fine. Well, yes, I am talking... Well, I am talking about... I I am going off of that Lateran Council's clue, uh, which was on... Uh, Wednesday in the historic seconds category at the $1,200 level, the 1139 meeting known as the second one of these councils invalidated marriages of priests, monks, and nuns. Doe tried what are the Vatican councils. Rowan tried what is Nicaea. The Lateran councils is what they were looking for. And I was like, hey, ecumenical councils. I have read more about that than most people have. Probably, yeah. (laughs) I didn't want to like zoom in specifically on the Lateran councils because like I think Doe and Rowan went for Nicaea and Vatican because those are actually more important names to know. I'm not going to cover every ecumenical council uh, because there are some that really, I mean, I don't want to be like nobody cares about them, but like... There were a lot of councils and they're not super relevant at this point. Yeah, there are some of them whose historical significance or like relevance to the average person or Jeopardy contestant is like close to zero. So, but I thought I'd I'd, uh, walk us through ecumenical councils to know. So yeah, the word ecumenical, it's from Greek and Latin, Latin via Greek, like whatever, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Greek oikumenikos, uh, meaning from the whole world, gave to Latin ecumenicus, meaning general or universal. So from that, we get the ecumenical of ecumenical councils. So um, an ecumenical council is like a meeting of bishops and other church authorities to consider and rule on questions of Christian doctrine, administration, discipline, and other matters. And what makes it ecumenical is that the people who are entitled to attend and vote in such a council are like if you are a you know a person of who holds like the appropriate office from anywhere in the inhabited world then then you are you know part of the ecumenical council or can be you know so like as opposed to like you know some some like a like a more local meeting of church authorities right an ecumenical council is like for like the church worldwide acceptance of the rulings of these councils and acceptance of the, you know, the councils as ecumenical and authoritative varies between different Christian denominations. The three kind of major groups within Christianity to know are like, uh, are Roman Catholicism, uh, Eastern Orthodox church and Protestantism, which, you know, all start out as like one thing. And then there's the East West split, uh, between Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox, and then later the Reformation, where Protestantism splits from Catholicism. Uh, so both the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church recognize, recognizes ecumenical the first seven councils, which were held from the fourth to the ninth centuries. Um, the Catholic Church continues to hold general councils of the bishops um, and regard them as ecumenical. Um, but of course, after these splits, you know, ecumenical councils that the 
Roman Catholic Church holds for Roman Catholics are not regarded as ecumenical by the other branches of Christianity. Uh, so the Catholic Church recogni- recognizes 21 councils as ecumenical. We will not be covering all 21 of those. And then the first four ecumenical councils are recognized by some Lutheran churches, Anglican, the Anglican Communion, Reformed churches, although Protestantism in general has kind of a different relationship with church authority and sort of how that fits in with other kinds of authority that we recognize. So, um, So for Protestantism, any ecumenical council is subordinate to scripture. Protestantism, it's like... There's a lot of variation, but I think right. that's I think that's a generally a fair I think that's a fair generalization. Um, so the first seven ecumenical councils uh, include the following: the first Council of Nicaea in three twenty five CE, the first Council of Constantinople in three eighty one, the Council of Ephesus in four thirty one, the Council of Chalcedon in four fifty one, the second Council of Constantinople in five fifty three, the third Council of Constantinople from six eighty to six eighty one. Uh, and finally, the Second Council of Nicaea in 787. Uh, all of those take place in modern-day Turkey. Um, so the First Council of Nicaea uh, was a council of Christian bishops convened in the city of Nicaea, uh, now Iznik, Turkey, by the Roman Emperor Constantine I uh, in 325 to address disagreements arising from within the Church of Alexandria over the nature of Jesus Uh, and his relationship to God the Father, and in particular, whether the Son had been begotten by the Father from his own being, therefore having no beginning, or was created out of nothing, and therefore had a beginning. So the guy that everybody was coming down on uh, is um, Arius of Alexandria, who was getting into it with Alexander of Alexandria and Athanasius of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Arius was the one who regarded the son as having a beginning, being created by the father, whereas Alexander and Athanasius took the position that the son was begotten of the father and that that's some that's different in a really important way. Also, none of these debates are happening in English. And so we've like sort of assigned words to these positions, but, but they're not, you know, like they're, they're making these very fine distinctions begotten or created. is kind of the, the, the big sticking point that they need to convene the, the, the church worldwide to address. According to legendary accounts, debate became so heated that at one point Arius was struck in the face by Nicholas of Myra, uh, later who would later be canonized. Uh, so Saint Nicholas, Saint Nicholas Saint yes, Nick, the Santa Saint Claus. Nicholas you're thinking no, of, got so upset about Arius saying that Jesus had been created, created. not begotten, <laughs> that he slapped him across the face in a meeting of the worldwide church. Wow! There we go. <laughs> Uh, the council decided against the Ar- the Arians, Arius and his followers overwhelmingly and declared that the son was true God, co-eternal with the father, begotten from his same substance, arguing that such a doctrine best codified the scriptural presentation of the son, as well as traditional Christian belief about him handed down from the apostles. And so from this, they create, the, they write the Nicene Creed, which I'm not going to uh, read for you in its entirety, but it goes into great detail about the nature of 
you know, Jesus Christ, Son of God, right? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is from the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, (laughs) through whom all things came into being, which that's about this debate that Arius was saying yeah. there was a time when the sun was not and the, you know, sort of the other side having a, like, like co-eternal with the father, right? Like a, right. a major objection to the idea that like <laughs> first God existed and then God created the Christ. Another sort of, I don't think that this is Jeopardy level, but like maybe in like a deep, like learned league level, you might, you might want to know these words or be able to recognize them. Um, consubstantial. Um, meaning like of the same stu- substance is the position that, you know, that the council arrives at. Um, and then there's, there are these Greek words for the, the two things that are being, you know, the two positions within this debate. Homoousius means mm-hmm. same substance. Homoousius means like similar substance. Right. Um, it is a difference of one iota, literally one iota, right? Like there's an extra letter I in homoousius. And uh, th- those are a couple of terms to like, you know, if you're if you're ta- if you're like in deep like church nerd territory, like those are terms to know. So that's the big thing that comes out of the First Council of Nicaea. Um, another one is agreement sort of about when to celebrate Easter. They left some details to be kind of worked out in practice, but agreed that Easter should be celebrated on the same date by the church worldwide and that that date needed to be separated from its dependence on the Jewish calendar. It had been, I think, up to that, like there had been some local variation, but like a lot of the practice had been to like uh, check in with the Jews about when Passover was and then line it up with that, which makes sense, actually. So, but but agreement to like, to make it consistent across Christianity and separate from like Jewish calendar calculations. There's a popular misconception that this council addressed the scriptural canon and like the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, This council did not. Those things didn't happen here. They also passed 20 new canon laws, including a prohibition, a prohibition on self castration for clergy, which did that. Is that necessary? Yes. Isn't that troubling? Um, Yeah. The fact that they needed to do it. Right. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, There were, I mean, there's the part where Jesus says, like, if your, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better. Right. Like there were some people who took that pretty literally. I feel like that's a metaphor. I just got to think that's a metaphor. metaphor. It's It's hyperbolic. Goodness gracious. But at least they they went the right way with the the law and (laughs) self-castration. Shockingly, Um, yes. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to go into as much detail on, I think, any of these other councils. But Nicaea, you know, it's it's the first one. It's a big one. So Mm -hmm. Um, plus it's got the fun stories with with the with Santa Claus hitting the guy. (laughs) Um. Uh, the first council of Constantinople takes place in May to July of 381 CE. It's convened by Emperor Theodosius the first. A lot of these are convened by an emperor who's like, you guys need to get together and sort this out. Mm-hmm. Um, controversy over Arianism and the Nicene Creed had continued. Uh, so this council affirmed the Nicene Creed 
expanded it a little bit. There was like a like a another creed that is not especially, I think, remembered that comes out of this. It's like basically the Nicene Creed with like a little bit, like a couple lines added. And they dealt with some other matters. Uh, they passed a canon about the Bishop of Constantinople being second only to the Bishop of Rome which arguably reflects kind of the growing tension between the Eastern and Western parts of the church. And the Council of Ephesus is in June and July of 431. Uh, Emperor Theodosius II calls for this one. Um, and again, they confirm the Nicene Creed because okay. they're still fighting about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going to be an important name. They condemn the teachings of Nestorius, the patriarch of Constantinople, who held that the Virgin Mary may be called Christotokos, the Christ-bearer, but may not be called Theotokos, the God-bearer. The council denounced Nestorius's teaching as erroneous and decreed that Jesus was one person, hypostasis is a term for this hypostatic union, not two separate persons, yet possessing both human and divine nature. And so the Virgin Mary canon should be called Theotokos, uh, meaning God bearer, because if you're saying that the Virgin Mary can't be called God bearer, then like that in some way sort of diminishes the divinity of Jesus. Uh, Yeah. Again, okay. meeting of the church worldwide. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this, it's, it's Christianity. It's great. And 20 years later, we have the Council of Chalcedon in October and November of 451. Uh, very well attended this one. Over 520 bishops or their representatives, making it the largest and best documented of the first seven ecumenical councils convoked by the Roman Emperor Martian. Uh, there are ongoing issues with variations on Nestorianism popping up. Nestorianism being that you can't call Mary the God-bearer thing. So the Council of Chalcedon issued the Chalcedonian Definition, uh, which repudiated, repudiated the notion of a single nature in Christ and declared that Christ has two natures in one person in hypostasis. It also insisted on the completeness of his two natures. Um, so like fully human and fully divine. If you've heard that before, yeah. like that, that comes, I think, out of this council. There was also at this one, a ton of very convoluted political drama around a trial of the Pope of Alexandria, Dioscorus, which is way too complicated to get into here. But like, you know, it, it connects into all of these like squabbles about the nature of Christ and like uh, various church leaders aligning with one side or the other. And then this one has authority over that one, but they're on opposite sides. So this one like deposes that one and puts one of his, like his people in and like, you know, all, all, all that, let's all that kind of stuff that is getting sorted out as they rebuke Dioscorus. So uh, the second council of Constantinople was um, in 553. Justinian I convoked this one i kept coming across convoked which doesn't sound right to my ear but i don't know i mean what is a convocation yeah if not a demand that a bunch of people get together yeah i guess so participants at this one were overwhelmingly eastern bishops um only 16 western bishops were present nine from illyricum and seven from africa but none from italy out of the 152 people who were uh, in attendance um, and the main work of the council was to confirm the condemnation issued by edict in 551, 
by the Emperor Justinian against the three chapters, which is Nestorianism again. The big deal, apparently. Yes. Yes. A very big deal. Yeah. So they're, they're still they're still on about Nestorianism. But hey, in the Third Council of Constantinople in 680 and 681, they are on about a new heresy, except it's kind of a, it's, it sounds so, pretty much like the old heresy. Same as um, the old boss. <laughs> Emperor Constantine IV calls for this one, and the Third Council of Constantinople condemned monoenergism and monothelitism as heretical. Those are respectively the the idea that Jesus has one energy or one will, and you would probably need to read a lot more theology than I'm willing to to like try and understand what they meant by one energy here. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, but the the council defined that Jesus Christ possessed two energies and two wills, human and divine, right? Like, okay, uh, people just keep trying to get around this. They do not like this idea that of you know Jesus is human and divine. Uh, the council declared, however, that uh, Jesus's human will was in subjection to his divine will, and. Then we have like a break of like a hundred years before we get to the Second Council of Nicaea in 787. Constantine the Sixth is the emperor, and the Empress Regent Irene, I think, is really the one who convokes this one. And hey, new, new, I think genuinely a new topic. It's iconoclasm. Yay. Oh yay! Yeah. So the Second Council of Nicaea, the main thing to know about this is they uh, restored the use and veneration of icons, which had been suppressed by imperial edict inside the Byzantine Empire during the reign of Leo III. His son Constantine V had held the Council of Hieria to make the suppression official. The emperor's vigorous enforcement of the ban included persecution of those who venerated icons and of monks in general. Um, There were also political overtones to this. Images of emperors were still allowed, but not of, you know, holy figures, which some saw as an attempt to give wider authority to imperial power than to, you know, kind of ecclesiastical power or authority. There's like some church politics stuff, you know, somebody with some with some clout wants images restored, but because a council that claimed to be ecumenical had abolished the veneration of icons, they needed an ecumenical council to restore the veneration of icons. So that's what this one is. In 786, the council met in the Church of the Holy Apostles in Constantinople. However, uh, so- soldiers in collusion with the opposition entered the church and broke up the assembly. And so then the council convened in Nicaea. And so that's why this mm-hmm. is the second council of Nicaea, where they affirmed that veneration of icons was appropriate the documents come with a troubling but not surprising dose of like the Jews and Muslims don't use images and look at how wrong they are. We should uh. definitely use images, right? Like, why? Why do we have? Why? Why does Christianity have to be like that? Um, so they, um, but but they re- they restore the use of images and icons, and there's some language about the proper religious veneration of images with this distinction between veneration of honor and true adoration that icons are to be uh, regarded in the same way as other holy things, the cross, you know, the, the physical like book of, you know, like the, the gospel, but true adoration is reserved for God alone, not for the objects that point us toward God. 
And that council also had some debate about um, how to deal with bishops that had accepted iconoclasm while it was, you know, while while the iconoclasts were in power and like whether they could mm-hmm. uh, retain their office. Yeah. So those are the seven ecumenical councils that are kind of recognized across Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. And then we've got some, some, some Catholic ones to know. So the Lateran councils, there were, there were five of them all together. Okay. Uh, so 1123, 1139, 1179, 1215 are the, the first four. And then I think there were some intervening Lateran councils uh, before number five, which I'm not sure I'll highlight. So the first one was about kind of clarifying the separation of spiritual and temporal affairs. They didn't want um, ecclesiastical like titles or roles conferred by people who were laymen. They wanted the election of bishops and abbots uh, freed from secular influence, those kinds of things. Yeah, that's kind of the major issue there. Um, The second one, prohibited marriage and concubinage among priests, monks, nuns, and so on, and banned ostentatious clothes for bishops. It also barred Christians from participating in uh, jousting and other turn and tournaments, which uh, which endanger life under pain of deprivation of Christian burial. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, doesn't sit right, and on the other hand, it's like, well, you know, don't do a thing, you know, don't don't die in the in in, in jousting because it's a sin. Like, what what's like what's the threat? You know, right. um, they also prohibited the use of bows and slings against Christians, which I think we've talked about. Here, I think that came up in some Jeopardy clue, and I was like, "Yeah, I think it was crossbows specifically." Yeah, there, yeah, crossbows also also were were mentioned, or like maybe there's maybe there's ambiguity with the language. I saw like crossbows question mark in parentheses um, when I was reading about this, but yeah, like I have some ethical questions about this. If it's not okay to use it against Christians, why is it okay to use it against non-Christians? But apparently that's just me because the church worldwide in the year 1139 saw it the other way. Uh, The Third Lateran Council in 1179 uh, restricted papal election to the cardinals, condemned simony, uh, the, you know, paying for spiritual uh, things, and introduced minimum ages for ordination. You had to be 30 to be a bishop. And the fourth one... There was some stuff about papal primacy and transubstantiation as well. So yeah, the Lateran councils. The Council of Vienne in 1311 and 1312 disbanded the Knights Templar. I don't think there's anything else major that you need to know about this for trivia purposes. I'm sure the church historians have lots of opinions about it, or maybe they don't. But, you know, uh, it disbanded the Knights Templar. And that's the I think that's the only thing that is likely to come up for trivia purposes about this one. Uh, the Council of Constance in 1414 to 1418 uh, resolved the Great Western Schism, you know, the like the Avignon mm. Papacy thing, um, and condemned Jan Hus while they were at it. Um, mm. Yeah. Council of Trent, 1545 to 1563, with interruptions, uh, addressed church reform and repudiated Protestantism, defined the role in Canada and canon of scripture, the seven sacraments. It is considered the founding event of the Counter-Reformation, uh, made the Latin Vulgate the official biblical text of the Roman Church, officially affirmed 
the traditional Catholic canon of biblical books in response to the increasing Protestant exclusion of the deuterocanonical books, right? So like this is actually, there had been a previous council, I forget which one, where they where they listed which books were scripture. In the Council of Trent, they do it again because the Protestants are saying these ones that are, sometimes we call them the Apocrypha, but like, that, like that's a, that's a, that is a, like a biased name for them. Right. Um, right. But it's texts that appear in the Septuagint, but are originally mm-hmm. written in Greek. So they don't appear in the Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maccabees, Wisdom of Solomon, a, a few others. Protestants were excluding from the canon. And so the Council of Trent reaffirms the list of which texts are part of the Bible, including those. Catholics call them the wisdom books sometimes, I think. Then we've got a break of several hundred years before we get to the first Vatican Council, uh, 1869 to 1870, defined the Pope's primacy in church governance and his infallibility. Uh, so papal infallibility is a, is a big one here. Repudiated rationalism, materialism, and atheism addressed revelation, interpretation of scripture, and the relationship of faith and reason. Uh, this was convoked by Pope Pius IX, opened on December 8th, 1869, and was adjourned on October 20th, 1870, after the revolutionary capture of Rome. Yeah. During the unification um, of Italy. Yes, yes, unification of Italy. There's some more to get into there, but let me let me do like the like the, the churchy stuff first and then get to that. Unlike the five earlier general councils held in Rome, which met in the Lateran Basilica and are known as the Lateran Councils, um, this one met in St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican, and so is called the First Council of the Vatican. There were only two documents discussed and approved, the Dogmatic Constitution on the Catholic Faith, known as Dei Filius, and the First Dogmatic Constitution on the Church of Christ, uh, known as Pastor Aeternus. Further discussion was to continue when the bishops returned after a summer break. However, in the meanwhile, the Franco-Prussian War broke out. French troops protecting papal rule in Rome withdrew from the city. In October of 1870, one month after the Kingdom of Italy had occupied Rome, Pope Pius IX, who then considered himself a prisoner in the Vatican, issued the bull Postquam Dei Munere, uh, adjourning the council indefinitely. Some proposed to continue the council in the Belgian city of Mechlin, uh, but it was never reconvened. So that one adjourned indefinitely and never, never reconvened. And then almost 100 100 years later, we have the Second Council of the Vatican, 1962 to 1965, uh, addressing pastoral and disciplinary issues dealing with the church and its relation to the modern world, including liturgy and ecumenism. That sounds very esoteric, but Vatican II had major impacts on the lives, you know, like the, the, you know, kind of day-to-day spiritual lives of Roman Catholics, um, which you will hear anytime you talk to, you know, a Roman Catholic who lived, you know, through kind of this big shift. The council met in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome for four periods or sessions, each lasting between eight and 12 weeks. In the autumn of each of the four years, 1962 to 1965, Pope John Twenty called the council because he felt the church needed updating in order to connect with 20th century people in an increasingly secularized world. Uh, Vatican II's teaching is contained in 16 documents. There are four constitutions, nine decrees, and three declarations that come out of this council. They include significant developments, um, extensive reform of the liturgy, a renewed theology of the church, revelation, the laity, a new 
approach to relations between the church and the world, to ecumenism, to non-Christian religions, and to religious freedom. Some really, you know, refreshing uh, language about we need to stop <laughs> talking about how horrible the Jews are. Um, right. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, you know, 1962 to 1965, I guess better late than never. And the most noticeable change, the big, big, big one that, you know, that Catholics are are very aware of and that is, you know, fresh and in fairly recent memory is that up until this point, Roman Catholic services were in Latin. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And so Vatican II changes these services to being conducted in the vernacular there's also kind of a fresh embrace of scripture, right? The the Protestant Reformation had this big emphasis on, unlike the Catholics, we can read and interpret scripture for ourselves. You know, everybody should be, you know, reading their Bible and studying it independently. And like the counter-Reformation Catholic response was kind of like, that. that's not for you. Um, yes, <laughs> that's let's we're gonna all stop that. Close the book, put it away. Um, we'll, and so there's we'll make it a little easier for you, but yeah. that's still our job. Stay uh-huh. in your lane, yeah, yeah. So there is kind of this new, like, this embrace of scripture that uh, that we see in Vatican II, where they kind of walk back some of some of that, uh, some of that reaction. That's I feel like my bias is showing as I characterized that. But there is, the, you know, there is this kind of recentering of scripture in the lives of lay people. All right. So those are those are the councils, the ecumenical councils to know there were there were other ones. But I think I would be surprised if a council were to come up in, in kind of general knowledge trivia that I haven't covered here because I, I, I got I got a little deep. Um, yeah, hopefully not too deep. Um, no, that yeah. Really good. All right. So, are you ready for a quiz? Yes. Okay. I, I am not going to torture you with a quiz about ecumenical councils or church Thank politics. You. You're welcome. So, uh, the Eastern and Western churches recognize the first seven ecumenical councils. Um, those are the, you know, the seven are the, you know, the the shared where where the authority is widely recognized. And so, I was like, hey, how about a quiz based on sevens? You okay. Know? Yeah. I like so. So let's start with a famous seven, the seven dwarves, as represented in the Disney version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Um, If you can, I'll give you one point for each one you can name, and you know all ten. If you get all ten bonus points, if you get all seven of them. Okay. Sleepy. Mm -hmm. Sneezy. Mm Mm-hmm. Dopey. Mm Mm-hmm. Grumpy. Mm Mm-hmm. Bashful. Mm Mm-hmm. Doc. Mm-hmm. Who's the last one? Oh my god, who's the last one? <laughs> Why can't I remember the last one? Um, okay. It's the last one's worth four points, isn't it? Yeah, it apparently. Seems a little unfair. Happy. Yes. Oh my god. You got it. Yay. Yay. <laughs> like the simplest one. Yeah, all right. So that that's ten points. I yeah. I said it as seven dwarfs, but the title of the the Disney Snow White film is actually the Seven Dwarfs. Dwarfs, yeah, dwarfs. Question two: The faith of the seven, more commonly simply referred to as the faith, involves worship of the father, mother, maiden, crone, smith, warrior, and stranger. Those who do not follow the faith might worship the old gods the drowned god, 
or the Lord of Light? Who created the fantasy world where these competing mm. faiths vie for followers? That which is dead cannot die. This is George R.R. R. Martin. It is George R.R. R. Martin. This is like the, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones world. I, I appreciate, you know, the like kind of the, the religious world of Westeros. I think that piece of it. I think it's compelling. All, yeah, yeah. I, think it, I think it works. Um, cause a lot of, you know, a lot of fantasy, you know, medieval fantasy settings kind of shoehorn religion in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of just like, well, we need to have them believe in some kind of God so there can be something supernatural. But yeah, I think he did a good job with the, the, the variations in the religions. Yeah. And it, it sort of rings true with all the, um, you know, I mean, the politics and, uh, theological debate that you know that we touched on in the uh in the deep dive right it's, I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like yeah that's that all fits with how how humans do religion right um all right uh you're at 20 points question three uh i will not be saying any of the words here uh but what comedian is remembered for his monologue seven words you can never say on television um along with being a famously dirty-mouthed comedian, he replaced Ringo Starr as Mr. Conductor on the TV program Shining Time Station. Yes. That's George Carlin. Yes. That guy. That guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... Weird. I Yeah. yeah. When, I, when I saw that name, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Am I sure I can show my kids this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. You're at 30 points. And question four, of the historic Seven Sisters Colleges, five remain as women's colleges, Bryn Mawr, Barnard, Wellesley Smith, and Mount Holyoke. Radcliffe, as we discussed this week, was absorbed into Harvard. And the seventh is what school in Poughkeepsie, New York, which was founded in 1861 and became co-ed in 1969. Lisa Simpson mentions it several times as a possibility if she doesn't get into a more prestigious school. Don't remember her talking about it, but Vassar is what comes to mind. It is Vassar. Nice job. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I do not remember her mentioning Vassar. Yeah, it, it comes up. It comes up a handful of times, not a lot of times, but like enough sure. that like some Vassar alum like put together like, like a list on the internet somewhere. Right, and the, um, the writers were making a, a pretty direct joke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's there's one where like the teachers strike and Lee. Lisa says something like, oh, I'm never going to get into an Ivy League school at this rate. I'll, you know, I might not even make it into Vassar. Mm. Um, And and Homer says, I've had enough of this Vassar bashing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, this is this is going great. Um, Mm -hmm. You're at you're at 40 points. Question five. If you roll two standard six sided dice, what is the probability that your total will be seven? I should know this off the top of my head. Yeah. I think I've mentioned before that my it's one of my husband's big pet peeves that like trivia, like humanities trivia is like these super deep cuts of like minor characters from Dickens novels and like obscure people that are like close to forgotten by history. And then math trivia is like, what is seven minus two? Um, yeah. Is, isn't, is it one, one out of six? It is one out of six. Okay. Nice job. Okay. 
Who I was like, I was thinking you asked for a percentage. I was like, why would I give? Oh that no, 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 you don't to, no, no, you don't need to give that to me as a percentage. No, Just one out of probability. Six. Yeah. yeah, one out of six is correct. Nice job. You did the math. I or did the, the math. math. I have not done probability in fifteen years. Mm-hmm. All it right, was very simple probability though. So we'll take yeah. it. Okay. Well, hey, you're at fifty points. And final category, we're going to call it company names. Company names with seven. I will go 30 points. Okay. For 80 points, if you're correct. Oh, thank heaven that this chain of stores stopped using the name Totem, which apparently referred to customers toting their purchases home. And uh, the accompanying faux totem poles used as part of their visual branding. In 1946, what company extended their hours and changed their name to emphasize their convenient schedule? Well, that would be 7-Eleven. It is 7-Eleven because they're open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Or at least they were starting in 1946. Yes. 7 a.m. to 11 (laughs) p.m. Back when people were not up early or up late. Hmm. Is that true, though? I wonder. Um, uh, Back in my day, <laughs> we slept at night. People did actually sleep more, historically. We sure. got less yeah, sleep. Yeah. Like an hour less, I think, or something. Like some, like something, like, sur- like there is a surprisingly large change in how much people sleep per night on average, which is interesting problem. and a problem when mm-hmm. you think about all of the physical and mental health aspects of, yep. <laughs> of sleep yeah. I'm, I'm just i'm just heading down a whole tangent here um but yeah no uh 7-eleven changed his name because they were going to now be open from 7 a.m to 11 p.m who would need to shop outside those hours but now these days they're 24 7 well hey 80 points nice yeah, work yeah thank you that was a lot of fun Yeah. And thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you don't mind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are Jeopardy fans, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with the first week of the Tournament of Champions. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.